Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We're starting about on time, maybe one minute late, but uh, I want to welcome everybody here. Welcome our visitors here this morning. Good to see Ian here. Hadn't seen Ian in a while, and I'll try not to be any more embarrassing than that. So, <laughs> so I want to thank uh, Matt for doing the class uh, last Sunday morning. And I did, I did watch that, so I kind of know where we were at and everything that went on. So my understanding is we're ready for 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, and that'll lead us to question 13. So I'm just going to start here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is it and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So, if we look at question number 13 in our book, excuse me, do, do our visitors have books? Do you need a book? I'm sorry, they're on the back, back here. Oh, you sure? I guess I should have mentioned that beforehand because we do have books back here on the back while we're while we're studying and looking at. And you are welcome to them. So um, if we look at question 13, then what is the general principle regarding persecution? If we suffer for the right, it's a blessing. If we OK, if we suffer for the right, it's a blessing. Um, now, they're looking specifically, I'm just going to tell you, that is true in the, in the general purpose of what we're going through. They're looking specifically at verse 13. It says, he will harm you if you, if you become followers of what is good. Right. And the, the implication is that if we do good, we will not be harmed. Because it says what you just, what you just read. Who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? So the implication is, if we do good, we will not be harmed. Even if we're persecuted by men, we will be blessed by God. 
Yes. I guess in my mind, how do you define harm? Because those who are against God and His word, they are going to persecute us. They are going to come at us. They are going to cause us suffering. Well, but if we suffer, the the idea here is more of of our we're looking at our eternal soul and our long uh, eternal life. They cannot really right. They can't really cause us any true harm. Yeah, someone can aggravate you or bother you or cause you some discomfort here in this life. Right. But if someone does, that's a good example. If someone does lie and have me terminated from my job, that's okay. God will make a way. I will have another job. It's There's always something else. And it's kind of funny. We used to say in kind of a smart aleck way, well, I was looking for a job when I found this one. So I will find another job. You know, that's really not that big a deal. But, but you're right. I mean, in a way, they can cause us some temporary problem. But in the long run... In the real scheme of things, what really matters, they, they cannot really do us any serious harm. Even if they kill us, we still live on through the Lord. Do you want to have anything else? Yeah, Matt. That's a really good question, though, to think about. Well, you know, we can be harmed, but what he's saying we cannot be harmed. To recognize what you said precisely, that we need to be looking with spiritual eyes in, in the big picture and the eternal priorities instead of losing our job, or, or even being harmed or killed. Those, those are horrible things, but big picture, we need to be. Right, and that's how I was taking this, was as, as the big picture. Because we, we know that, yeah, if you walk up to me and punch me, that's going to hurt for a minute, you know. But overall, in the big picture, they can't really do us harm, and that's, that's the main thing. So, they, oh, yes, Pat? Uh, if we look over at Matthew 10, chapter, or verse 28, it says, and do not fear those who kill the body or are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Right. Do not fear those who can just who can only harm the body, but fear the one who can harm your eternal soul, who has actual power of judgment and can make a real determination that really matters. And that's that's correct. That's the right way to look at that. And I think, you know, Peter heard Jesus say that, so I think that's part of what he's getting at here. Does anybody have anything else? Did... All right. Okay, so question 14, and this is still along the same vein, okay? What is said of those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? And again, this is pointing to verse 14 as well, if you look there. Yes. Okay, don't fear their threats. What do you have, Eddie? I was going to say, it says, um, do not be afraid of any of those things. If you are persecuted for being righteous, then you still are blessed by God. That's right. You know, so you can't lose. It's just a me hurt a little bit for earthly master, earthly people, but our master. Right. Even if we suffer for righteousness' sake, we are still blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That's a hard one to go by, though. It's hard. But we can do it. 
Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, we've all been in situations where we had some fear of what a possible outcome might be. And that's, you know, we need to go to God and, and give that to him. We do what we can do, what is correct to do, and then we give it to him. Yes, Pat? I think that's why it's so important to study the Word. It's because that's where we get it. Right. The more we study, the more we realize, and then we're prepared more that situation. Right. That's why it is important to study yeah. the Word, so we'll be prepared. Right. And in, and in the fourth chapter of this book, uh, verse 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this man. Right. It does say in 4.16, I was looking at that earlier, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And this means you're doing the right thing, you're living right, you're being correct, but you're still being, like we know the world right now, for instance, there's a term going around about being a uh, Christian nationalist or something, and they try to make that sound like that's a bad thing, and they look down on us as uh, fundamental Christians, you may hear some of this in the news occasionally, I do, and uh like somehow we're a problem because we have a fundamental belief in morals and morality and, and, you know, the good things of God. And that does happen a little bit, so we have to be aware of that. But if we're persecuted or looked down upon or put down because of those things, that's a good thing. That means we're doing the right thing. And Satan will push to have, you know, to have his way instead. But we should stand against those those things that are wrong, regardless. Well, even right now, we're going through this abortion thing. <laughs> yep. The uh, pro-abortionists, they're looking down on the Christian in the worst of ways, and they're saying, how could they do that? How could they not understand? But they don't understand what God wants and what God needs and what God meant to be. So they're persecuting, well, they're persecuting in speech. I don't know if they're beating up on anybody or anything yet. Right. Right now, it's mainly talk where they're, they're, the pro-abortionists are angered and upset because Roe versus Wade was overturned. And that's an example where they look down upon Christians and they say, keep your religion out of it. But um, we can't keep God out of it. That's not the way it works. We can't keep the Lord out of it. Yes, Barbara. Right. The schools, as far as I know, they can't have prayer in them anymore. And that's that that pushes God right out of it, right? That makes it difficult. Yes, Ian. Kind of swerving off course here. Whereas it is understandable about types of persecution, but we I think we're kind of getting off track of what is said of those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think when we come back to that, it's as it says, you will be blessed, have no fear of will be in trouble. So I believe the, the point of this is, um, you know, to have no fear because you know, God is watching over. Right, and that, that is the point of the verse, that's true. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, all these things that we hear and see, we can, we can trust in God, we can trust in the Lord. And that is, I mean, that is what we're really looking at, right? If we're looking at verse uh, 14, because we are still blessed, even if we do suffer, even if they do manage to make things harmful, or, you know, give us some, 
that's not the right thing. Even if they give us some trouble, which we know we're going to have trial and persecution, we're still blessed and we do not need to be afraid or be troubled. And that's the real point of that verse, right? Bringing us back to that. Yes, ma'am. I wonder if, if rather than that we're still blessed, it's, it's almost that we're perhaps further blessed. It's counterintuitive, but the fact that if, if we go through um, testing our faith in that way and, and come through it, we actually grow in our faith and we hopefully encourage others to see that and, and, and those sorts of things build each other. And perhaps it's even a, you're more blessed to have gone Right, maybe. And yeah, that makes good sense in that we would be, as we grow and we go through these trials and suffer, we would be blessed. We would be more blessed. The blessings. Um, there is, I can't remember where it's at. Isn't there a verse about blessing upon blessing for, but I forget exactly how that goes. So hmm. that's probably getting off topic too. So, but nonetheless, um, as we grow though, as we grow and mature, of course, We'll be more and more blessed as we learn how to deal with these things and handle these things better from God's perspective. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move on? All right. So question 15, how should one prepare themselves for possible persecution? We kind of touched on this, but... Right. It starts in our heart. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Some translations say, in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord, meaning you're setting Christ as holy and apart as Lord in your heart. You're making him your absolute, you know, ruler and Lord and king, as we say sometimes, and honor him as Lord, our leader and savior, right? So what else does uh, he say about that? Well, I like the way it says, I didn't hear what she says, I may be repeating it. That's okay. Oh. Uh, it says be ready to give a defense. Right. Be so ready. We can't give be ready unless we know God's word. Right. That goes back to studying God's word, right? Pat talked about that a few minutes ago. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. So we can't do that if we're not studying the word if we don't know, right? Does anyone have anything? There is one other point on that, if anybody. Yeah, Ian? You also can do it in, in my version, so it's gentleness and respect. I think you always want to do Yeah, gentleness and respect, or what was this say? This says with meekness and fear, but yeah, gentleness and respect, that would, yeah. I think that would. The idea being, um, you know, uh, as Hatred or condensate condensation and 
condescension, maybe. Condescension yeah. and uh, the wrong type of pride, I guess I'll use that that version. We can, you know, give off the wrong message, so to speak. Right. When someone does ask, when we respond, we need to make sure we respond correctly. And like you said, with gentleness and respect, or this says meekness and fear, but just we need to respond in a nice Christian way and not have, like like you said, no, not in condescending way, not in an angry way. We were once just as ignorant as everyone else. So we really don't have any reason to hold ourselves above anyone else. Yes. That makes you think of uh, when the woman was caught John 8, and uh, he didn't dwell on what she did that was wrong. He looked at the people that were trying to accuse her of something they probably have done in their past, too. Right. So he didn't accuse her. In fact, he said her sins are forgiven. Yeah, in John 8, the Lord actually had those people, he actually got those people to look at themselves. Instead of looking at the other person and putting them down, Look at yourself and judge your, yourself and see what you're doing and get that straightened out. That was that was the main message there as far as I'm concerned. So that's a good point for us too, you know, easy to point a finger at somebody. Look what they're doing out there, but look what we're doing in here. <laughs> right, right. We have to always look at ourselves, right? So make sure that we're make sure that we're doing the right things. Let's see. Um, and that has to do with the, the other point that they had here, which was have a good conscience. Which if I say that incorrectly, I apologize. But having a good conscience um, that when they defame you, they will basically, when they revile us, they will be ashamed because we haven't really done anything to deserve that. And that shame, I believe, is really intended. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Right, we do need to defend the word. Now, in this case, though, I mean, they were referring to the hope. What do you defend? Why we have the hope that we have? But we do have to defend the word and contend for the faith too. And that in Jude uh, verses three and four, and uh, he says, "I felt it necessary to write and urge you to contend earnestly for the faith entrusted once for all to the saint, for all to the saints." And there they're talking about, for certain men have crept in among you unnoticed, ungodly ones who were designated long ago for condemnation. They turned the grace of our God into a license for immorality, so we have to be aware of that and uh, stay away from that. That's it's kind of a different subject, but still it's something we do have to watch out for. Yes? Pat. I just was thinking about uh, when Christ was crucified in a centurion, when it Everything came down to it. He said, "Assuredly, this man was the Son of God." That showed shame on his part because he was part of that crucifixion. 
Right. He was a part of that. Yeah. So, yeah, the centurion. But it's kind of strange that he's the one that says, wow, surely this was the son of God. You know, it's kind of I, I thought it was kind of I always thought it was kind of odd that he's the one, not not someone who was Jewish or one of the leaders or anything like that. Yeah. It's, you know, seemed, the Romans, uh, how many of them believed in God? You know? They had their own God. Yeah, they had their own pantheon of stuff. Yeah. Gods that they believed in. Maybe he heard Jesus preach some of them must have. Some of them he had some interaction with some of them because I remember there was uh, I can't remember the the guy's name right now, but he he helped that one guy that came to him, and because uh, he said, yeah, because he said uh, that he just said just say the word and it will be done as you you know as you say it, and Jesus had remarked that he had great faith, so. Yes, ma'am. Thinking again about that first point that we looked at the question about having the Lord set the appropriate place in our heart. You know, if we're facing persecution. We need to know where our boss is, right? We need to, to know where our priorities are because, you know, we don't want to be made fun of. That's not fun. Or we don't want to be beat up because that's painful. And we don't want to be killed because we value our life. But we need to recognize Jesus as Lord. Put God first and recognize that He wants us to stand firm no matter what. That's hard. Right. But that's, that is that's hard. what we're called to do. That is hard, but that is that is what he's that's what he's saying. He's saying it in a very short way, but yes, uh, we need to make sure that we have Christ set up in our hearts and realize that He is our boss. He's our He's our boss. He's our king and we need to stand for Him appropriately. So does anybody have anything else on that before? All right. So the next question is 16. If we maintain good conduct, what will happen to those who defame and revile us? I almost jumped ahead a minute ago, so, but I didn't. Yes? It's almost like what my mom was talking about, the centurion that recognized Jesus was the Son of God. They'll be ashamed. They'll recognize you're doing the right thing. Maybe it'll take them a while. Maybe right. it'll be a judgment, but at some point they'll realize. And that's what I was thinking. Yeah. See, they, they will be ashamed. Now, for some people, they won't realize and won't be ashamed probably until judgment. I hope not, but we have to realize that not everyone's going to change. Yes. But like, we look at the example of Paul. He was able to recognize, oh, what a fool I've been, and realize that he was wrong and change. We, that's what and that's the good thing. We, we see that Paul, even though he was adamantly against Christ and Christ's followers, he really changed and realized that he was wrong. And that's what we hope for for everyone. Yes? When I think about Paul that way, I think of him being present when Stephen was stoned. And so they laid their garments yeah. at his feet. He, he stood by and they watched over their clothes. For all we know, he also threw stones. But um, he was there. He went. Right, and that, that shows, since Paul was there when Stephen was stoned, it also shows, I mean, these are the examples he had. This is how, what he saw and what he thought was right, what he believed was right. Yes? The way I interpret that business of them laying the garments at his feet is that he was in charge of that business. Not that he was a little kid and he's the co-keeper or something. He's the leader, 
And so he's not actually stoning them. He's in charge. He's not just in agreement, but he's like leading that. Oh, okay. So because they're putting their coats at his feet, you, you, you figure that he's actually the leader of the group, that he's like actually in charge of this happening. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about that, but okay. So yeah, and well, we know that he was that way. He was that zealous. I mean, give him credit for being zealous both ways. I mean, he really believed, firmly believed in, in God and what he was doing. And when he came to Christ, he also was very zealous and firmly believed in what he was doing. So he was really zealous for God. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So they will be ashamed. That was our, that was really what we were coming down to as far as our answer goes. So if we look at question 17, if we suffer according to God's will, what is better? And suffering for God's will. It's better to suffer for what God wants us than to go man's way because that gains us nothing. If we suffer for doing God's will, we will be rewarded. Right. It's better to suffer for doing God's will, for doing good, than for doing evil, right? Because of, uh, largely because of what you just said, that when we are doing God's will, we have that eternal reward. We're going to get, we're blessed from God and we have that eternal reward. Whereas if we're just uh, suffering for doing bad, for doing wrong, well, <laughs> we have a reward, but it's not a good reward. It's not a reward you want. And uh, you'll, you know, so I think in a way it's kind of obvious, but in another way it may not be. Because sometimes people hear, think, well, I'm out for me, I'm out for myself, i got to do what I can and get mine. And uh, that's, you know, that's the wrong way to, to look at things and to live. We have to look for the bigger picture, the longer game, I guess, as some would say. Look for our eternal souls. If we look at question 18 then, who also suffered for righteousness' sake? We'll just take the first part. Jesus, Jesus Christ also suffered for uh, the just and, let's see, he was the just suffering for the unjust. He suffered because none of us were, were righteous at the time that he gave himself for us. So, and then the second part of that is for what reason? To bring us to God, right? For He did it for sins that He might bring us to God. Opening up a path for us to come to God, to have that relationship with God. So if we look now at question 19, let's see, though put to death in the flesh, what was He able to do by the Spirit? It's really, a, it's, it's in verses 18 and 19. He, he, was, he was resurrected. He was made alive and brings us to God, right? But they, they were looking, um, it's kind of an odd thing. But um, if you look at, really look at verse 19, it says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. 
And then in 20, you actually get the description of, from my understanding, the spirits in prison, right? Does that mean the actual prison, or does that prison mean those in sin? I, I think, okay, I, took, I understood this to be saying those who were, um, who had died back in Noah's time, um, that, that never had a chance to hear the gospel, and they were like, they're held, they were held in some spiritual way. Now, I can't be more clear than that for myself, but. Yes, ma'am? There's a lot of views on this passage. Yeah. And so, there, there are. I'm some sure. of them take it that, you know, the view that um, the angels came, well, it talks about this Genesis 6 about the sons of God and the daughters of men. Some take that to be portraying that there were angels that came and married women and then made giants and all this stuff. And then, of course, right after that's where it talks about all the evilness and the, the God's judgment. And so some take this as evil spirits that were defeated there are put into a spiritual prison, kind of like we think of hell, but for, for angels or something. And then some take what you're saying, that, that it's, well, it's just talking about that Jesus spoke through Noah, not that Jesus was there, but Jesus spoke through Noah to those people and then talking to them, or it's talking about, about that they died in the flood, and then after Jesus died on the cross for the three days that he, while he was in Hades, you know, in the realm of the dead, that he spoke to them and said, hey, I, I am victorious, and I'm going to rise from the dead, and you're all wrong. And so it's very confusing, but those are the, some of the things I found. I, I think in some manner, though, I think I was I was thinking along those two lines where in some manner they're given the gospel and given a chance because I don't know that they would have had it otherwise. But there are probably a lot of different, yeah, different ways of looking at that. But that's how I looked at that and understood that as I read it. I, I probably took it in the simplest way, but sometimes simpler is better. So, um, well, that kind of we kind of talked about that in question twenty. It says, "When were such spirits spirits disobedient?" And here it's talking about um, back in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, these people who would have perished in the flood. So, now changing the subject a little bit, if you look at uh, verse uh, question twenty one. Of what is the salvation of eight souls through water a type? And it, Acts 2, 38, Mark 16, 16, you know, all of those examples, all those things, leads us back to the type. Because Noah and his family were saved through water. Right, they were saved through water, Noah and his family. Sort of like an example of baptism. Right. I can't, I'm not good at no, that's uh, that's what that's what they were getting at, right? That that's exactly what he's getting at. Um, he's talking about uh, these eight people being saved through water, being like baptism. Yes, Jim. And then they were saved by water through obedience. If he hadn't built the ark, hmm? if he hadn't followed the instructions that God right. gave him, and went into the ark and shut the door, he would have not been saved. Right. Likewise, for us, unless we are obedient, we're not going to be saved. So that's a really good 
comment, Noah and his family are saved through obedience because Noah built the ark so they could be saved through water. And for us, we also, we have to be obedient and be baptized through water to be saved. And without that, we're not. Yes. Also, if you look at the scriptures where um, the Israelites went through the, the Red Sea, when Moses parted the waters, that was a form of baptism because there was water all around them. And it saved them because the Egyptians were right behind them. Right. So when the Israelites pass through the Red Sea, that's another good example of being a type of baptism. They pass through the water themselves, and then the water closed in on their enemies behind them. And uh, I think there's... Yes, Matt. I remember um, growing up reading this, kind of having a mental disconnect about what's being said. Because in my mind, uh, Noah and his family were saved by the ark. You know, they got in the ark, and they were saved... From the water, from the flood. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this is saying. No. This is saying that the correspondence of baptism is corresponding to the flood, not to the ark. And and so when we think about how the earth was filled with sin and the earth was cleansed through the flood, and it was all that sin was removed by killing off that sinful generation. And, and baptism is like that. Baptism purges us from sin. Of course, it brings us in communion with Christ and all those things. So that, right. That's something I, I was hung up on for a long time. Yeah, and I understand that because, yeah, I mean, we, we look at it from the physical, normal way, and it does seem like, well, actually, weren't they saved by the ark? But that's that's not really what Peter is talking about and all that he's saying. He's talking about baptism and being saved through the cleansing of the sin, like you did mention, the cleansing of the sin for generation there, removing all those do anyone have anything else on that? We find too that Noah had faith that this was all going to happen. He did what God told him to do. Just like Jim said, it was obedience. It was obedience. And Noah had to have, think about this, he had to have great faith. It took him like about 100 years to build this boat for a flood that I'm sure everybody else was making fun of him over and saying, there is, there's no way, dude, you've lost your mind. You know, and yeah. And then today, uh, our faith, Lord, and we have to have the faith that who he is and what he will do when we're baptized. Right, right. We have, to, faith, you know, we have to have that faith to believe that we will be saved through through the, the, the obedience of repentance and baptism. Yes. All right. So we're at, out of time for today. We're, what are we, let's see, we're ready for, we will look at uh, question number 22 when we come back next week. Thank you for your time and your attention.